All right, the NHL is under their uh, about three-week break right now to take us into the second part of the season uh, after the Olympic break. And with the uh, Olympic hockey got going on Thursday morning, uh, Thursday morning here in the United States, and Team USA picked up a Game 1 win over Slovakia, a 7-1 win, which sets them up nicely uh, for the weekend games against Russia and Slovenia. And here to join me today to talk about the NHL break, along with Olympic hockey and uh, his Boston Bruins, is Mike McCauley of thehockeywriters.com and the New England Hockey Journal. Mike, how's it going today? What's up, Neil? How's it going? It's going well. You know, I I guess before we get into hockey, I mean, we were uh, roommates in college freshman year at the height of uh, Yankees-Red Sox rivalry and everything that's happened since. And uh, I guess it only makes sense that we're talking the day after Derek Jeter announces his retirement from baseball. Yeah, I, uh, are you doing all right? I mean, I, I know <laughs> you, you seem like you'd be pretty down. I got a bunch of text messages, emails, uh, you know, missed phone calls from people just checking in to make sure that, you know, I'm still here. But uh, yeah, it's been pretty tough, but the, it seems more of like a joke right now and surreal. It doesn't, hasn't really set in the fact that after the season, he's not going to be a, a you know a guaranteed uh, penciled in guy in the lineup every day, which I guess seems a little bit uh, surreal. And I talked about this with our our mutual friend Mike Hurley yesterday, and you know we tried to compare it to someone in the Boston sports landscape, and really, there's no one. I mean, maybe no one in all of sports right now that that really is in this situation where to mean so much to one organization for so long, I, I guess really for you guys, it'd be Tom Brady. Yeah, that's, that's probably the biggest one. That was the first one I've come to mind. But, um, you know, even as a Red Sox fan, you got to respect everything Jeter's done and uh, all that good stuff. But all these little retirement parties the Yankees are doing, first uh, Mariano, now Jeter. I mean, is, is they run next year too? Is that going to be his swan, <laughs> swan I don't... I have a feeling he's not going to get the, uh, the the recognition and the farewell tour around the entire league the way these two guys got. But uh, it is it is fitting, I think, that Jeter's leaving the game uh, the same year that A-Rod suspended from the game for an entire season because it seems like so much has changed over the last decade since A-Rod became a part of this team. And, and uh, going back to when we first met, uh, that was A-Rod's first season in the Bronx, and he was, almost, uh, he was almost with the Red Sox before that. He was, yeah, and thankfully... For whatever reasons, you know, he chose the Yankees, and here we are, and we don't have to worry about a Rod <laughs> prancing around and doing steroids, and you know, 2004, 2007, 2013. But I'm done. That's that's, that's a different story. Well, on Thursday morning, uh, Team USA had a huge win, uh, and going into that game, you know, you expect them to come off of 2010. I mean, at this point, it's four years ago, so it's not like. I, I keep saying, oh, last year when they, you know, when the gold medal game, and now it's been four years, and uh, you expect them to carry the momentum because there's really nothing to go off of. It's not they had a few practices together. It's not like this is a team that plays together all the time or knows each other well, and there's not really a lot of chemistry outside, you know, a couple pairs of, of forward lines that you could put together of guys that play together. So um, it, it was a little scary because you don't know what to expect, especially going against a team with um, a team that does have some NHL talent on it, but also a lot of foreign talent, a lot of KH talent you don't really know what you're getting um i was nervous entering the game and one was zero zero for a while you know you start to worry that what happens if slovakia ends up getting on the board first but u.s gets that first goal and then slovakia starts the second by tying it one to one and then i was like oh my god this could be like a one goal game we might be seeing a two to one win either way and then the united states blows the doors off so uh what were your feelings entering the game and you know how did that second period sort of settle you down and give you that momentum going into this weekend. Yeah, I think Slovakia is a good team. I could have seen if it was going to be a high-scoring game, it'd be a five to three, six to three game. But um, seven to one in the six goal second period is just insane. Um, and like you said, you know, when when Slovakia scored, I think it was uh, Thomas Tatar who who got that goal. 
It's like, okay, well, now it's one-to-one. They kind of let them back in, but they were just relentless. Castle scores a, a minute, a little more than a minute afterwards, and then they just don't look back. So I think it showed just how much firepower the U.S. has. Um, and, I, you know, like I said, I don't think Slovakia is a bad team per se. Um, but it, it just shows that how powerful the U.S. can be. So, and, and you look at the roster, you, you look at their four lines, and the, the fourth line, I think it was Pat Reddy's, uh, Paul Stastny, and it might have been, I, the last one's escaped me, it's uh, TJ Oshie maybe from St. Louis. Um, yeah, yep. And, and yeah, and, and they were, I believe they got two of the goals. And it's like, all right, if you're getting that type of production from your fourth line, and, you know, you really don't have Zach Parise doing anything yet, um, you know, Joe Pavelski is supposed to be the number one center. Um, I don't think he was on the scoreboard either, but you're getting production from guys that, aren't supposed to be your primary scoring threats in the first game of the Olympics. Um, I definitely feel good about their chances. And um, going into it, I didn't at all. Uh, I know some people were asking me, you know, do they have a chance in the gold? And, you know, I, I don't, I still think it's Canada's to lose at this point, but, um, you know, if they keep this going, they'll definitely compete. Going into the game, uh, there was no goalie controversy with the United States, and uh, Jonathan Quick was going to get the start. Ryan Miller is going to be the backup. It seems like it's been known uh, for that for now about a year or, or over a year since uh, Quick won the Con Smythe with the Kings. It sort of seemed like he started to fit into that role as a number one guy for Team USA. Whereas in Canada, you know, they're going to flip flop their goalies between games one and two, no matter the performance. And now that now that that game has happened, um, it doesn't matter. They're still going to flip flop and. There's some people I talk to that think that Miller should get the shot against Russia, but I, to me, I mean, that's creating a goalie controversy that you don't need to have and shouldn't exist. Uh, it's not like, you know, Quick had a bad game. He gave up one goal against a solid team. So I think he should stay in the role until he proves he can't. Um, and, I, you know, I'm thankful for what Ryan Miller did four years ago, but at this point, I think you just have to stay with the hot hand. Do you agree? Oh, absolutely, 100%. Um, you know, he's. I think he looked great today. Um and you give Miller, I think you give Ryan Miller a game maybe against Slovenia on Sunday, but you you start dropping quick against Russia. I think that's going to be a real good test for him. And if he falters, yeah, you have Ryan Miller as a backup, like, which is nothing to sneeze at whatsoever. But I think right now, I think Jonathan Quick is a better goalie than Ryan Miller. Um, and I still think Ryan Miller is, you know, as someone who sees Miller five or six times a year, you know, he, he's still at the top of his game. Um, the team in front of him, Buffalo Sabres, obviously, are just so, so bad. But um, Ryan Miller, you know, you look at his numbers, and he's having a pretty good season for what it's worth. So I think that says a lot about him as a player. So for right now, yeah, you go with Quick. And if Quick doesn't do well against Russia, then, you know, see what Miller has to do, and uh, you go from there. But as far as I'm concerned, that, that's just starting goaltender. It seems odd that there's no Bruins on Team USA, and really, when you look at their roster, there there's you know not many United States-born players as a whole. So I guess it sort of fits. But uh, for you, you know, there's there's a few Rangers on the team. There's uh, some Canucks, um, some Canadians. So what's it like for you having to pull for these guys that you spend all season pulling against? Oh yeah, it's, it's no problem. You know, at the end of the at the end of the day, you're rooting for for your home country. You know, um, but I think in a certain circumstance, you know. Uh, watching the Canada-Norway game today, Patrice Bergeron picks up two assists, you know, you're, you're happy for the guy. So I think you root for certain players in situations. Um, it was really, really weird watching and having, uh, you know, semi-rooting for Phil Castle to beat out Zidane O'Chara on the <laughs> ice. Uh, that's just, I, I'm glad that only happened once. I don't think they're going to play again, but uh, that's that's something that was a little bizarre for me. 
um, <laughs> after the past four years. But um, yeah, you know, it's and, and you know, I, I like a lot of Rangers. You know, even Canucks. Like, I don't mind Ryan Kessler as a player. Um, How about you know, Patrick? Patrick yeah, he, he's one of those players where okay, you, you share against him. You you know when when he's playing against you, you hate him. If he was on your team, you you know he, he's a good player. He's a good goal scorer. Uh, you know, New England born player. So you kind of have to root for guys like that, I guess. At the end of the day, going back, I guess to to what you just said about Kessel and Chara. I mean, this is completely aside from the Olympics, but I don't think we've ever talked about this. How you know when Kessel was drafted by the Bruins and put on the team right away, it sort of seemed like it was their answer to all the rest of the up-and-coming talent in the league, and all these superstars sort of came into the league together at once right after the lockout. And I never thought he was going to be the player that he is now. I never thought he'd reach that, you know, tier one status of Crosby, Ovechkin, uh, with Stamkos, Tavares, and he hasn't. But, you know, I feel like he's always got a bad rap in Boston after what's happened and getting traded. And it just seems like the fans always treat him poorly. And it's not, I, I, to me, he's just like this quiet guy. And I never really understood why the Boston fans get on him so much. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. I'm, I'm not sure either. I don't, when he was here, he was very well liked. Um, you know, I think his last season with the Bruins, he scored 37 goals, you know, playing on the line with Mark Savard uh, and Milan Lucic. And when he was here, he produced and he obviously turned into a much better player. I, I think, the sour taste in everyone's mouth was when he was a free agent in that summer. And it, I believe it was he and David Krejci were free agents at the same exact time. Krejci had asked for, I believe it was either uh, three, three quarter uh, million annually. And um, I think it was assumed that Kessel was going to get a similar contract. And that's kind of what drove him out of Boston is he wanted more than that. So I think that was a sour taste that, um, that kind of was left in Bruins fans' mouths. You know, he doesn't look like he's in shape. He doesn't look like he's this athletic guy, but he definitely turned into something that um, I don't think the Bruins thought he would have been. You mentioned Char earlier along with the Kessel line, and uh, he didn't have his best day, obviously, going against a a team with superior talent and really not uh, surrounded by a lot back on the defense for Slovakia. Um, I I read recently about Char and uh, people's idea of the Bruins retiring his number uh, when all said and done, and I want to talk to you about this because I feel like you have as good a grasp on it as anyone. Do you think that's a guy that that should have his number thirty three in the rafters at the TD Garden? Yep, absolutely. Um, I I just think with him signing, that kind of signaled the new era for the Bruins. Um, you know, he became captain right away. Um, that's when you started to see things change after that two thousand five, two thousand six miserable, miserable, miserable season. Um, yeah, and I think he, you know, he got the Bruins where they are today so yeah i i would say 110 percent he gets his number retired um i'd actually be very surprised if they didn't see that feels shocking to me because when you go back to when he did sign i do i do agree with you that he did help to change uh the culture and get the bruins back on track it just seems weird to think that zidane O'Char's number is going to be up there with you know bork neely uh busick to me it just seems a little odd yeah i mean well you think about it he was the guy that helped them win a cup for the first time in 39 years so you know, that's something, and you know how much I love Cam Neal and Ray Bork, but that's something those two guys didn't do. But they still played a big role with the team. They were still a big part of the team's success. They were part of the team's culture. And, you know, it, as far as I'm concerned, Cam Neal is the ultimate Bruin. He's the absolute, you, you think of the Boston Bruin, you think of Cam Neal. So it, it, that's nothing against him. But at the end of the day, Char is the one that kind of guided the team and, and got them there and helped them win it. So, uh, you know, I think it would be a guarantee 
um, it, well, I shouldn't say that. I think it's a guarantee regardless, but I don't think there's any question if they if they had won the Stanley Cup last year. But um, you know, it, let's see what they do this year. And but yeah, I, I would be I'd be very very surprised if they didn't. I just feel like that's such a uh, that's that's a slam dunk of a move. That's that's a, that's a sure bet at this point. And aside from him, I guess the really the only other people that would be in contention, you've got Thomas, who I think played himself out of that. But Bergeron would have to be the other guy. Would he be up there too? Yep, I I think Bergeron's up there too. I I think uh, Bergeron's still young, still young enough where you know we're just kind of seeing um, what's happening with him. We're just kind of seeing him mature and see him going through his prime, and he's getting better and better every year, and he's already accomplished so much with the Bruins. So. Um, you know, I think he's the natural um, he's a natural choice for captain once Charlie is too. Um, but he's another guy that's a, he'll be a Bruin for life, and he probably will be up there uh, as well. You know, Tim Thomas, it's it's, it's Tim Thomas. If if he had stayed, maybe you can make a case for it. But then I think you get into the argument of are you just retiring numbers just to retire numbers at that point? You know. Yeah, I I would agree with that. And as we head into the, uh, into this break, the Bruins go in. Uh, with the second most points in the Eastern Conference, and they look like a sure thing for that number two seed, if not the number one, if they could ever catch Pittsburgh. But um, as for the Rangers, you know, you're a guy who's not a Rangers fan, but you're always high on them. And, uh, you know, I feel like you respect their talent and ability more so than even Rangers fans do. Going back to last postseason when they, they knocked the Rangers out in five games and uh, entering this year, I thought that maybe the Rangers would take a step more towards in the right direction of the Bruins, um, get a little deeper, get more secondary scoring, and sort of build their system and, and, and their organization in the way that the Bruins have um, over the last five or so years. Um, from an outsider's perspective, what have you seen you know, from the Rangers this season? Do you see any difference, or is this a team that's headed for the first and second round exit that we all expect them to have? Yeah, I think I've come down on the Rangers a bit, unfortunately. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, my roommate is actually a very, very big Rangers fan, so anytime they're on, we usually try to watch them. Um, I, I don't know if Lundqvist is, if it's because he has a different defenseman in front of him or what. He doesn't look as dominant as he did last year, um, or in, just in past years in general. Um, I think having Cam Talbot, though, as a backup is, is a pretty good deal, you know. I think he's definitely an upgrade compared to uh, Martin Byron. Um, but, yeah, for whatever reason, I, I just I don't know. The Rangers just seemed like they're not as, maybe not aggressive. I don't know if that's even the right word at this point, but they're just not as gritty. Like, they almost don't want it as much as they did in the past. And I think, you know, with Tortorella being there, he kind of, he the, the players eventually tuned him out. So I think I think having AV behind the bench is, is good for the players, but I think they lost a little bit of that aggression. Um, so I don't know. And I, I think it's weird, the whole Ryan Callahan thing. That, that's another thing that really <laughs> bottles my mind. How, you know, it's like, Oh, we might trade the captain any day now. We'll, <laughs> well I, I know you're, a huge, I know you're a huge Callahan guy, but I, it's just a weird thing because it's, it's such a unique situation because of the money he's asking for. Uh, and granted the caps expected to go up, but to, for Ryan Callahan, a guy who's the heart of the team and, He's been there the longest, uh, aside from Lundqvist. Um, but he's a guy that you know he gives max effort. He's a guy that's not. Uh, he's basically a twenty to twenty-five goal scorer if everything falls into place perfectly for him. So really, do you want to tie up you know nine, nine, ten percent of your salary cap to one guy who? Yeah, he is the captain, and yeah, he is a homegrown guy, but he's not a guy that can get you goals. And really, that's what the Rangers' biggest problem is. Yeah, I, I do get that. Um... I just think you don't want to start going and changing the culture of the locker room, but 
I think what he's asking for, the seven years, the $42 million or something like that, whatever the amount is, um, that's that's insane. But someone will pay that in that, I think, um, whether it's one of these uh, one of these teams that are low to the, cl- the cash floor or, you know, you look at a, like a, a team like LA or someone that wants like that gritty type of winger leadership, um, someone will pay that money for him on the, on the market, no doubt. So um, I don't know. I would, as someone who does like Ryan Callahan, like obviously I would like to see him be on the Rangers still, but you know, as for the Bruins, like there's really, there's no spot for Ryan Callahan there, but um, you know, I, 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 the whole thing really just, it puzzles me. It really does. <laughs> well, I think you bring up a good point because someone's going to pay pay it to him. And I know that there's been reports and rumors that the Sabres have already said, you know, we'll pay it to him and we'll make him the captain. He's from the Rochester oh, area, yeah. so it's not far from Buffalo. So to, to me, it's hard to say, does that work out better for the Rangers or Cali in this instance? Because he knows that someone's going to meet his demands. You know, he just has to leave the Rangers to get it. So I feel like it works almost better in his favor that that's out there because it puts the emphasis on Glenn Saylor to make a decision. Hey, we either have to overpay for him or in his, in Callahan's eyes, pay the right amount for him or they have to trade him. So I think Callahan really has the upper hand right now. He's either saying, you know, you have to let me go and I'm going to test the open market or you have to trade your captain while you're fighting for a playoff spot, you know, come March, March 1st. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty tricky spot for a GM to be in. Yeah, exactly. And that's the thing. I, I think you need to decide by March 1st. There's, there's no, there's no way you can't do anything um, before that, because if you resign him, you know, if you know, you're going to resign him, great, you're going to resign him. But if you have any type of doubt, then, you know, that's, that's where you try to shop him. And if you can get something for him, then all the reason. But um, yeah, I, I really legitimately think someone will pay that much money for him. No doubt. And you bring up a good point at Buffalo. Um, that's, that sounds like an easy, that's that's an easy easy bet, you know. Make him the captain. There's your franchise player. There's face of the franchise. It's a weird season this year because of what we came off of last year with the condensed season and uh, everything was pushed up and you know you had way more than uh, the average games per week and now we sort of see the same thing because they have to condense things to fit in uh, around the Olympic break. Um, but you know, last year at this time and you start talking trade deadline already because of the way the season worked out and the Bruins made the move uh, for Yager after not getting a Ginla. Um, you know, I haven't really seen you so much on Twitter or on the hockey writers, you know, talking about any needs for the Bruins at this point. So is there anything that they really need? I mean, to me, they're along with Pittsburgh, obviously they're ranked one and two, but I feel like it is that way. They're primed for a long, uh, run and possibly another cup run again. Yeah, they're, they're definitely deep. Um, I don't think they need any type of, um, depth on offense. Um, I actually, I'm always on the, I feel like this is a, this is something every other year I talk about, but um, I think they could always use a, a bottom a bottom six winger. Um, I don't love Sean Thornton come playoff time. I don't think he contributes much. Excuse me, contributes much. Um, so I think you know you slide down Chris Kelly to the fourth line uh, with Daniel Pye and Greg Campbell, and you put you know Soderberg centering Erickson and another winger. Um, one guy I'm, I always like is Ray Whitney, and that's that's been he's he's been the target for me for the Bruins for a probably since 2008, 2009 when he was with, um, when he was with Carolina. So I, you know, you take a look at him. Um, but right now I think they need a, a, some, something, yeah, some help on defense. Definitely. Um, you lose Dennis Seidenberg in the playoffs and that's such a monumental loss. And, you know, Johnny Boychuk and Dougie Hamilton have both been pretty good at stepping up. Um, 
but I think you got to look for you know someone else as great as Tory Crew, Matt Barkowski has been the season two, and even Kevin Miller, who's uh, who's been such a pleasant surprise to Boston. Um, you really need to look at seeing what's out there and who can pick up those minutes, um, or you know maybe not Seidenberg's minutes, but if Boychuk or Hamilton does take that spot on uh, the top pairing from Bruins with Chara, um, you have to think that someone needs to replace Boychuk or Hamilton now. So I, I don't think it's they don't need a right sh- uh, a defenseman with a right shot at this point, but um, you know they definitely need a a good stay at home defenseman uh, with a left shot certainly. Your first thought right there involves Sean Thornton and going. I know we're going back a little bit here, but with the mm-hmm. entire thing that happened with Brooks Orpik and the Pittsburgh game and the melee and uh, James Neal and Brad Marchand, uh, you know, I don't know what your feelings were on that. I felt like while the league did have to send a message because you know Thornton did attack Orpik, who was unwilling to fight, but at the same time, you know, Orpik's skating around, head hunting uh, goal scorers like Louis Erickson, who aren't out there to you know mix it up. Um, I felt like he had to answer for his actions, and then when he didn't, you know, maybe Thornton had something better he could have done than jump him. But I think he put him in that spot, and Thornton had to do his job. Sure, he did it a little over aggressively, but to me, you know, as an outsider, someone who who's not a Sean Thornton guy, I feel like you know, he did get an excessive suspension for that. He did. Yeah. Um, you know, I thought it would be close to eight or 10 games. Um, but it's, it, it, a precedent didn't need to be set. I think for it, um, you look at what happened to him getting carried off in the stretcher and, you know, the biggest thing with Sean Thornton when he had the hearing was, you know, he told, uh, Shanahan, Batman, whoever that, yeah, he knew exactly what he was doing. Like it wasn't, he didn't snap. He didn't, you know, overreact. He's coming right out and he goes, no, I, I know what I was doing. And I think that was the scary part there. I think that's the part where everyone kind of stopped and said, okay, well, there's this guy who's skating around and yeah, you know, you, it's one thing to stick up for a teammate. It's, it's one thing that that's your job to go out there and be the enforcer. It's another thing to know where the line is. And I don't think Sean Thornton knew where the line was. And, you know, I, I, I like Sean Thornton. I think he's a good player. I think he's, um, you know, he, he brings a lot to the Bruins, to the locker room, but, you know, that, that was, it was unnecessary. It really was. And um, it, you see as he's getting older that his role is starting to diminish a little bit more and more. Um, so I think come playoffs, you know, the guy's playing three or four minutes a night or, you know, however however much he's playing it you know, for the playoffs. And you, could, you could put someone else out there and you could put someone else out there to play those minutes and more who would do more contribute. Well, we started with the Team USA talk, so I think it's it's only right to finish with that. And it's hard to, to really uh, project what's going to happen over the weekend and as they advance and if they advance into the next few rounds here at the Olympics. But with one game and, and a 7-1 win, it's pretty impressive. Uh, you don't want to get too high on a team who has to play the hardest uh, competitor in their group in Russia on Saturday. But, you know, when this is all said and done, is, is the U.S. a team uh, capable of uh, a medal? And do you think they have a real shot here at the gold and knocking off Canada or Sweden or Russia um, on their home ice? I, you know, if they, if they play like they did today, yes. Um, I think so. I think, you know, I, I still think the gold goes to Canada. I think it's theirs to lose. Um, I liked Sweden going into it, but, you know, with, um, with Daniel City not playing, Henrik Zetterberg potentially out now, that, that's, those are two big losses. Um, I, but yeah, I, I think U.S. could, could be that team that, to challenge Canada. Um, and that was such a great, in 2010, that was probably one of my favorite games of all time, the 2010 final between Canada and U.S. That was just so much fun. So if we get to see that again, that's just awesome. That's just, it's just another reason why hockey's awesome. 
<laughs> well, I agree, and uh, I appreciate you coming on today to talk about this. And you know, we'll have to have a couple more of these before the end of the season. I know the uh, Rangers Bruins have a game coming up right after the break on March second on a Sunday. So maybe if you have your uh, computer open that day, we'll do one of those in-game email exchanges. Yeah, definitely. That'd be a lot of fun. All right, Mike. Thanks again. All right, thanks, buddy.